Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Collective Podcast, a conversation focusing on the challenges that leaders face in ministry. Each month, we sit down with seasoned ministry leaders to discuss the nuts and bolts of how they've navigated challenges in ministry and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm Ted Leavenworth, pastor of Reliance Church in Temecula, California. And I'm Rob Sabato, lead pastor at Calvary Vista in Vista, California. Well, welcome to the kickoff of season two of the Leadership Collective podcast. Today on the Leadership Collective, Ted and I are joined by Pastor Miles DeBenedictus from Cross Connection Church in Escondido, California. Ted, when we first started this podcast, our very first episode was on the subject of vision with Pastor Ed Taylor and Nate Holdridge, and we had a great conversation that day. Yeah, we did. Uh, One of the things we discovered was that there, there are so many approaches to vision. Uh, and uh, this caused us to do a follow-up bonus episode on vision uh, with Pastor Mark Foreman and Pastor Nick Cady. Well, today we're coming full circle because once again, we're going to be talking about vision. But today we're talking about having vision in a post-pandemic world. Because one of the things I've heard from numbers of pastors over the past two years is how hard it has been to have vision because everything in 2020 and 2021 has been so unpredictable. Yeah, it sure has been. And, you know, on top of that, many churches are seeing the interesting dichotomy of, of a lower overall attendance in comparison to their pre-pandemic numbers. Um, But among those who have returned to these churches, even though their attendance is lower, what they are experiencing is they have a lot of new families who haven't yet acclimated to uh, the vision and the culture of the church. And so you've got changing numbers and you've got a changing cultural dynamic that you're dealing with and the increased pressures to train and to make disciples in that whole dynamic. And as if the last two years wasn't enough on top of all of these things, well, now we're dealing with the recession. And uh, this impacts not only what we do, but how we do it. Absolutely. And so today, Ted, Miles, and myself want to discuss how we are currently navigating change and vision and direction for our churches in this particular cultural moment. So now here's our conversation. Well, today marks the first episode of season two of the Leadership Collective podcast, Ted. Yeah, right? (laughs) It's been fun. (laughs) It's been fun. You know, our first official episode of season one was April 8th of uh, 2021. And we had a conversation that day with Ed Taylor and Nate Holdridge on the subject of vision. And we were talking about different approaches to vision. And then we followed that up with a bonus episode on vision with Nick Nick Cady and Mark Foreman, which actually has been one of our uh, most listened to episodes to date. And I think one of the things that we found in those two conversations is that we had close to six different approaches to vision (laughs) between all of us. Kind of like how you raise your kids, right? (laughs) Exactly. You know, there was the one-year plan guy, the five-year plan. I think it was Nate had a 25-year plan. And, um, but it was uh, uh, some great conversations. Right. It sure was. And, you know, and Nate is even clarifying, you know, when he said 25 years, you and I were both jaw on the <laughs> yeah. open, just jaw exactly. on the floor kind of thing. But he clarified, you know, yeah. that that he's got a, a spiritual 25-year plan, but he holds it in an open hand. And it really actually worked out to a practical five-year plan and even with one-year aspects mixed in with that. So, sure. yeah, that was interesting. Well, 
as you said, it was uh, two episodes. Uh, it could have been ten, Many really. More. Yeah, yeah, for sure, big time. And um, and so we're returning to that topic today, as you said, and we're going to explore uh, today how trends and forecasts inform the vision shaping process. And uh, joining us today is Miles D. Benedictus. He's the senior pastor of Cross Connection in Escondido, California. Uh, and Miles is a frequent flyer here on the Leadership uh, Collective podcast. Miles, welcome. So good to be with you guys. Uh, appreciate the uh, call to talk about this subject of vision, something that I definitely am interested in and uh, definitely interested in you guys' podcast as well. I've been listener a listener for a while and I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Right on. Um, we thank you for making the time for us. And, you know, so jumping right in, you know, the Bible says that the prudent man sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and they suffer for it. Proverbs 22, verse 3. And uh, I just throw out the question for both of you guys. What are what do you think are some of the practical ways that we see danger? Go ahead and go for it, Miles. What's your thoughts on that? You know, the first thing that comes to my mind in just hearing that that verse read is the 200 chiefs from Issachar. It's in, uh, what is it, First Chronicles 12, who they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And I think that having an awareness of the things that are going on around you is is very, very important. I think sometimes we can kind of bury our head in the sand and not be looking at the different flow of culture and what's happening in our, our local community, but then kind of extending out from there in concentric circles to, you know, your county, your state, your nation, and the world. And, you know, we can, I, I think we can fail to recognize that things that are happening in the world have a direct effect on us more so today than probably any other time in history, because uh, news travels so quickly and, and events can shake people so fast. And so, you know, as a result, you know, I think we just need to be far more aware of what's happening in the world than maybe even 25 years ago, uh, because information travels so quickly and does have an impact on the areas where we're at. So kind of like the men of Ishikar, we need to be aware. I love that. That's a great um, analogy. Just a question for both of you guys on on that idea of being aware. What are some of the things that you pay attention to or, you know, practically, you know, whether it's podcasts or news sources um, or even just things going on in your own community? What, do you, what, do you, what are you looking at that's helping you stay, you know, just aware of what's happening around you and in our world? Yeah, I think uh, obviously we want to stay culturally informed um, from uh, you know a national and global perspective, and we have to be very careful about where we're getting the source of that information. It's big time, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm talking on either end of the political spectrum because you right. can you can listen to different news sources that lean far left, that lean far right. So I think you know getting a mixture of those. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we were RV shopping one time and um, two happiest days of a man's life, the day he gets his RV and the day he sells his RV, it's just like a boat. <laughs> but uh, she was asking all of these salesmen a million questions and it was frustrating me. I finally blurted out to her. I said, why do you bother asking these guys questions? You know, they're all lying to you. <laughs> and, and she you says, said that in front of the guy. <laughs> no, of course not. No. Um, but she said, uh, she said, you know, I, if I ask if I ask enough people the same question, I'm going to be able to discern mm. the truth. And I think the same thing applies to where we're getting our news sources. We just need to make sure that you know, we're listening to a wide array. But you know, when it comes to culture, obviously, all the three of us are all pastors of a local church, 
And we have to have our finger on the pulse of, of the local community. And, and that, in, that starts with the people within our community, within, mm-hmm. within the context of our, uh, of our fellowship. So I think we really need to lean in hard to uh, where all of the people and the different demographics, we got to be aware of that. So paying attention to our own culture, paying mm-hmm. attention to the things that our, our youth pastors are encountering and mm-hmm. the discussions that they're having and really leaning into that. Just as an example, one of the things that we've discerned uh, in in earnest right now is is uh, there's just a, a famine of the knowledge and understanding of the word and there's an attack mm. on on the on the on the word of God and and so we've been leaning heavily into apologetics with our high mm. schoolers and just seeing where the attack comes so so yeah so I, that would be my my quick beginning of that and that's a big question and I think that there's a, there's a lot of depth to that. Yeah, what about you Miles? What what are you what are you doing to stay, you know, just connected to your community and just culture in general? Well, you know, I've been privileged to have been able to be in the ministry now for more than two decades and I, unfortunately, I would have to confess that uh, early on I probably too many of my friends were just people in ministry. Mm. And I spent, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's good to have other pastors who you're friends with, but I would say that my closest friends were people who were in ministry. And for that, it was kind of like a, a closed loop, if you will, kind of an echo chamber about we were all looking at the same things, thinking about the same things. But in the last probably five to eight years, I've spent quite a bit more time with just the average people who are in my community or in my congregation. Uh, I have the privilege of serving for a number of years as a fire chaplain with the Escondido Fire Department. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes I'll spend six to eight hours of just riding on a fire engine with a group of guys. And most of those guys don't attend church. So it's it's interesting to kind of just hear the conversation that's going on there. Of course, you know, probably like both of you, I can be a little bit too much of an information junkie. So I spend far <laughs> too much time reading uh, books, news, listening to podcasts. I, I, you know, I like podcasts. I like this podcast, mm-hmm. but... Um, so I get a lot of my information from just kind of listening to what's going on in the culture, uh, you know, news podcasts, geopolitical podcasts, um, you know, church podcasts, all kinds of different things. Uh, but I find that spending time with people in my congregation gives me a good idea of, you know, what's happening in their lives that, yeah. it, you know, working in a church is totally different than working a nine to five job. And for a Big lot time. of my guys that go to my church, it's more like a six to six job. It's not a nine to five job and they're, they're working quite a bit. And so, you know, getting to know those people and hearing what they're actually going through, it changes my perspective quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I love that. And one of the things um, I try to do um, at least once a year, I, I try to have a meeting with our mayor and um, just to, you know, pick her brain on, hey, what's going on in our city? What are some of the needs? Um, how can we be involved? Um, I usually always try to talk with somebody on the school board um, or a principal. Um, I've been able to make some friendships with uh, some of the different principals. And um, just to get their perspective of what's, you know, happening in, in the schools and um, also try to talk um, with somebody involved in law enforcement and just, again, picking their brain. That was one of the things during COVID that was really heavy when we had one of the sheriffs here and he was telling us, um, you know, that in our community, the suicide rate had jumped to 70, uh, had grown by 70% and domestic violence by 65% during COVID. And, um, that was very eye opening for us. Um, but I also find it for me personally, 
that um, when when I meet with our leadership team, uh, we meet every other month and um, I, I like to get their perspective and I'll ask them, hey, what are you guys hearing? What are you sensing? What's going on, you know, with people in the body? And um, sometimes that's very eye-opening because I can look at things from a 30,000 foot level and feel like, oh, things are going really, really good. Right. And then I hear these guys saying, guy, everybody that we're talking to right now just is stressed out or everybody's just worn out or everybody's you know, feeling full of anxiety about this or about that. And, um, you know, so that, that's, those are some of the ways that I try to sure. connect and, and just see, you know, what are some of the the dangers that are going on. But um, Ted, I, I want to get your thoughts though on, you know, practical ways that we see danger. Cause that was the the question here. Um, you know, see if you had any other thoughts on, on that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's that statement that we're all familiar with. All politics is local. Mm. And I think that as it pertains to the the issues and the dangers that we face, that um, sometimes we can get a clue of what's going on nationally and what we see. Uh, sometimes we get a clue locally, but it's it's amazing how those two intersect. Yeah. And so, for us, you know, you you encounter and interact with your congregation, frankly, even with your own family. Uh, and all of a sudden, something that's national news hits home in a real big way. Case in point, the recession that we're mm-hmm. facing right now, and uh, and this is this is a huge subject for us because it has profound implications for our ministry, mm-hmm. um, how we do ministry, and those types of things. So, um, looking at what has been going on nationally in the reports that you hear, and then anecdotally, I mean, my wife went to the she ordered from Walmart online just the other day. And I'm telling you, we got two bags, literally two bags of groceries. It was $150. It's $150. And I said, what on earth did you buy? You know, is that filled with prime rib? Like, what did you purchase for 100 And it was nothing items, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, so there's an anecdotal, uh, you know, personal experience that's being magnified. And so, you know, taking that experience, hearing the input of the other people, and then looking at, you know, where are we at financially? What, right. What's what been the impact of our third quarter um, as compared to last year, um, as compared to the two quarters that preceded it? And, uh, and I, you know, I've been talking to a lot of guys recently, just this morning, um, you know, have the ongoing text conversation with with over a dozen guys that are all pastoring churches. And it's so fascinating to hear where they're all at. Hmm. And I, I've noticed in our region, there's a trend that the third quarter is not going so good. Hmm. Now, it's summertime. That's, that's right. kind of par for the course with summer. But by the same token, um, it's, a con- it's a worrying trend. And I read an article just uh, yesterday regarding Walmart. And they say that it's a barometer for the national recession. It's a barometer. Mm. It's a main street barometer. And so what Walmart has experienced is that their, um, uh, their, their sales have, have tapered off and their sales of, of non-food items has kind of fallen through the floor. Mm. And their research shows that, that people, those are, many of those are non-essential items. And that people are struggling to pay their grocery bill, and I and I can relate, <laughs> and and so they're starting to forego some of these regular purchases. So, so there's an example of of a of a local thing. And then as a senior pastor, I say, well, wait a minute, that's going that's going to affect 
our bottom line. And our bottom line is our ability to do things like retreats and mm-hmm. camps for the kids, uh, not to mention, you know, keeping the lights on and the, and the you know, keeping staff, uh, you know, industriously employed. So, um, so yeah, that's an example right. Uh, right there. How about you, Miles, those kind of experiences or those kind of, you know, barometers for you? Well, it's funny you bring up the whole grocery budget thing. I was, uh, you know, unfortunately, I drive a big gas-guzzling Suburban, <laughs> and I was just looking at it yesterday when I spent over $125 to fill up my tank, and I'm realizing that it's costing me about $0.30 cents per mile that I drive. Wow. And so it kind of changes how you think about just that quick trip down to the store or whatever it may be when you're spending that much on gas. But I think a lot of people are obviously in that place really wondering about how far their money is going uh, you know, as we look at our our church directly and just contributions and that sort of thing, it, it seems like a number of the people in our church, they they may have received cost of living increases because of inflation, because our giving has still been strong. But I can see that there's, there's still kind of people um, thinking twice about the different things that they were planning on spending money on. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we were wanting to uh, pull out a home equity line to do some uh, kind of repairs on our house and then interest rates started going up. I was like, well, we're not going to do that. We'll put that on hold and just kind of wait on things. And I think a lot of people are doing that. Right. I saw back in June, there was a record number of credit cards that were opened in June. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, uh, finances are getting a little bit tighter, but people's spending habits haven't changed yet. So they're putting <laughs> a lot of that on credit mm. and all of that's going to start to hit in the fall. It'll be a real challenge for people financially. So I think you're right in what you're saying about that. That probably does change a little bit about our calendar, maybe some of the things that we put before the body on some of the extracurricular things, potentially, um, I, I think those are good things to be thinking about. Yeah. Well, and this goes to this whole subject of vision and, you know, talking about vision in a, you know, pre or post pandemic world. And then, you know, heading now into looking at vision through the lens of a possible, you know, or recession, or I guess we're in a recession. Right. Um, and, you know, how does that affect what we're doing? You know, like you, Miles, so far, our giving has still um, been really strong. And what's also interesting to me, I was making note of this, um, you know, recently, just seeing the number of people in our congregation who have been going on vacations. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's part of it is like for two years, people couldn't do anything. And yeah, they're so, calling it revenge yeah, vacations. So it's like, we're, we're going no matter what, you right. know. Um, but right. you wonder, um, you know, is this all going to hit a head at some point? And then, you know, how does that then affect the different things that, you know, we're planning and we're thinking about? And I know at least here at, at our church at Calvary Vista, we're kind of rethinking everything right yeah. now for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, part of it has been, I think, like most churches, um, you know, our attendance is uh, still down a little bit from where it was. You know, we're probably in that 25 percent. Uh, we're down 25 percent from where we were pre-COVID. Um, lots of new people um, that are here yeah. um, now. And, um, but with less people, that means less volunteers, you know? So some of the things that we used to do, we're looking at through the lens of, um, okay, you know, can we do that still? Um, Can we, you know, get the volunteers to do that? Should we do that? Right. Um, 
and things that uh, normally would cost, um, you know, a lot of money, um, you know, should we do that um, right. as well? But I'll tell you, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, we we do here in North County a joint um, marriage retreat every mm-hmm. year, and this year for the weekend, it's in September. It's the most expensive it's ever been. I mean, um, we don't run it. There's another ministry locally that that runs it. They do a great job. But it's sold out Mm. in like two months when they first started advertising it back in March. Yeah. And uh, it just blew my mind, you know, that uh, people are like, oh, yeah, we're going. You know, that's something that is important to them that they're investing in. But um, I do think as a you know, as a pastor and leader, it's it's a challenging time to try to right. navigate all of this well, and not do it in, in fear either. Right. And conversely, um, we, our, our high school group just finished up doing a, uh, a summer retreat. Uh, we did it uh, in a partnership with another church. That other church was it was it was an event that they had initiated. They invited us to to participate with them. It it worked out for us. So you say, yeah, that's great. Um, but they took a bath on it. Mm. Um, this it was really, you know, the the cost was was you know challenging. So, um, you know, fortunately we weren't on the hook for the event. We came in after the fact, so we actually helped them out. But I I will tell you, like uh, it was it was it was not pretty. Uh, what happened to them? And like you said, I mean these this, these things do inform the decisions we make. We were just getting ready to pull the trigger on a second phase. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, I I blinked at that. We put it on pause. I haven't even yeah. made any announcement to our church about our second phase um, because uh, I just feel well. First of all, I I just feel like the the it's not wise. It's not prudent to do it right now. Right. And I and I also feel like it's tone deaf to where the people are and right. what they're experiencing. Right. And I need to be sensitive to what the people are experiencing. Our our congregation predominantly are young families, and mm-hmm. and that's something else that's interesting as it pertains to this recession. Churches that are that are predominantly young families, um, not exclusively, but just in my you know limited anecdotal research, those are the ones that are are starting to see more a more immediate mm-hmm. effect in their ties. But I think Miles, you make a great point um, that you know we it might we might be an early you know indicator here locally, but but there's a lagging indicator coming with the the credit card and, and those types of things. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to kind of watch the the trends. I mean, we all went through another downturn back in 2008, 2009. I happened to become the senior pastor of the church right when that happened. 2008, I took over this church here. And uh, so I got kind of like a baptism by fire and mm-hmm. learning how to walk through a period of time where things were a little bit more sparse financially. And and actually looking back, I appreciate that because it, it kind of changed my perspective. You know, you, you're a little bit less apt to keep close eye on things when finances are, you know, doing really, really well. But when finances are tight, you have to become quite creative and think very strategically about what you want to accomplish and what you need to do and what you have to kind of take some time to plan to do. Right. So we we may be moving into a time like that. And my concern just looking at global kind of geopolitics and then demographics is that you know the the downturn that we might be beginning to experience may be longer than people uh, might realize because we're uh, some of the stuff that I've been reading. You know, right now, twenty twenty two is the point at which uh, the bulk of baby boomers have now retired, and mm-hmm. we're going to continue to see that retirement. So we've crossed the fifty percent threshold of baby boomers retiring. 
So over the next 10 to 15 years, we'll see the, the remainder of baby boomers retiring. And we don't have the same amount of workers coming in because the generation below that is smaller than baby boomers. So we're going to have a worker shortage for the next decade plus. Mm. That right now is about 400,000 workers a year in the States. It's going to increase to about 900,000 workers a year in 2034. So as you have people moving out of working to really living on a fixed income that are the, the part of our churches that are generally going to be those who are the biggest givers in the church, that's going to change um, how things are happening. So it's going to probably change the way that some budgets look like within churches. And we probably do, as you were saying, Rob, need to take a closer look at some of the things that we do and think about what are the things we really need to do mm-hmm. to be focused on the, the purpose of the church and what are the things that we kind of like to do, but maybe financially it's not going to be something that we need to put the, the money towards. Right. A great example of that is uh, for us this year, um, we don't do it every year, um, but uh, uh, you know, around uh, during Halloween, it's like, are we going to have some sort of, a, of an alternative get together for our community? And some years we've done that, some years we haven't. Um, and this year, I, I just said, no, we're not going to do it. I, I can see the need, but I really don't see the need to do that. And it just doesn't seem prudent to spend, that, to spend the money that right. would be associated with that. That's just one small example, but it is an example of you know, taking the pulse of the, uh, the financial climate that we're in. Yeah, we're having that same conversation today, <laughs> later today about that um, event because it is. And I think, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head, Miles, when you're talking about needs versus wants. And sometimes when, you know, the finances are are stronger, um, it's always, you know, easier to to give into those wants and, and maybe kind of justify, you know, a want versus a need. Um, you know, our church has always been a, b- a bit of a blue collar uh, church. So, you know, we've always, um, you know, had to be very creative in our finances, um, you know, on, on kind of a normal basis. But, you know, you start looking at um, when it comes to even hiring, like, okay, is this a need or a want? Right. Um, is this a necessity or... Um, is this something that, you know, is, you know, could be filled with a volunteer. And, and I think that that has to factor into our mindset on, on vision. Right. Um, you know, I, I think our churches are, are similar in this way that because of our, um, church being a little bit more on the low budget side, we've always had a smaller staff, but, uh, Big volunteer base, right. huge volunteer base, right. um, and I've always looked at that as a as a big strength in in our ministry and what we've done. And that, where you know, certain uh, churches that I would look at and see friends I had that where they would maybe hire for this position, this position, this position, we had volunteers running those, right. you know, ministries and positions. And, um, but it's easy sometimes whenever, you know, things start getting stronger to, to be, begin to move away from that. And so we've had to jump back and look at and are doing that right now as far as like, okay, what's our vision and how does it relate to, you know, raising up, building up people. And I think that brings us right back around to what you had mentioned just a little bit ago regarding the influx of new people Mm -hmm. that have come in church because we've gone through this great reshuffle and so many pastors are reporting that, that I, that I, man, I, I had people that are gone. I have new people that, that I haven't seen before. Uh, and, um, that's widely experienced by many pastors. Mm -hmm. And what that brings with it is, is, uh, is 
having not only to train them to your culture, mm-hmm. the you know, in terms of 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 uh, uh, just getting getting them help you know in a healthy way acclimated acclimated to your church, but also for the volunteer base, it's training them up to mm-hmm. be able to serve. Right. So so I, t- I think to your point, and I, and maybe we can even unpack this because I think there's yeah. a lot to explore in this topic. Just how do we handle this influx of, of, of new people? And, you know, how do we go about doing that? Want to jump in on that, Miles? Yeah, I mean, I can echo what you guys are saying. Our, our biggest challenge at the church right now is not financial. It is volunteer base. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we have seen a huge shift, I, I like that you mentioned it or called it that great reshuffling. Yeah. I know some people get kind of spooked by the idea of the great reset, but we've had a definite great reshuffling within all of our churches here in Southern California. We, we see it in a huge way and, and we're still down probably 25 to 30% on our weekly attendance. We still have a lot of people who watch online, but mm-hmm. that does mean that we have a significant uh, smaller pool of people to really pull from for our volunteers. And then in the very same thing that I saw when I took over the church in 2008, we went into 2009, we had kind of a challenge through that recessionary period as well with volunteers, just because people became more busy with work. They didn't have uh, the luxury of taking as much time off as they normally would. And so we kind of had a drop in our volunteer base. Then we kind of are seeing the same sort of thing right now. People are incredibly busy, especially here in Southern California. I mean, uh, you guys know very well because you're here. I'm sure we have listeners all over the place that aren't in that same context, but Southern California is exceedingly busy. And Mm -hmm. so... There's not a person I talk to when I ask them how you doing that their first words out of their mouth are not I'm I'm busy. Yeah. And we see <laughs> so just true. having a hard time finding people to really plug into ministry opportunities. We've got tons of opportunities for ministry volunteers here. We just don't have the same volunteer base and we want to be careful that we don't burn those people out. Um, because I'm sure it's the very similar thing with you guys. When we're thinking about a new initiative, a new thing we'd like to do. There's a there's a group of people that immediately come to mind. Oh, we should ask so and so to help with this. It's always the same people. Right. It's like, well, I can't keep pushing that button to call that person because I, I don't want to burn them out. So it does change what we do. And we started a significant move towards a simplified ministry uh, calendar and you know just things that we do here at the church probably ten years ago, and that's helped us a lot during COVID. And I, it just seems like going forward, we're going to continue more of that simplified focus. Hmm. Yeah, and I think too in um, another dynamic, and this is just a hunch, and I can't I can't back it up um, uh, necessarily with uh, with some facts, but um, just a gut hunch is that I I'm I'm thinking there's there's a contingent of people. In some ways, COVID was healthy in the sense that we took our foot off the gas, mm-hmm. and we had that time where we kind of circled the wagons, and I think people rediscovered. Um, the beauty of uh, of a more simplified life, and so I I think that's translated to how they're reengaging at church. Mm. Um, and so and and I and I say I can't back it up, but anecdotally, I've had a few people kind of share similar sentiments that they've learned uh, that they were doing too much before and that they need to do less. Now, of course, for us, um, I think as shepherds, we need to uh, have people always you know, acutely aware of the sacrificial aspect of ministry. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you can't sacrifice, you know, your wife and kids on the altar of ministry either. Right. So I know one of the things that we're experiencing um, right now and kind of moving into when we look at 
you know, the, the new people who are here, as well as um, feeling the need to maybe re-educate um, even some of the, the older people who have been here as to what our vision is and what our, you know, direction is. And so over the course of this past year, we um, have in, engaged in a lot more of uh, direct and even indirect leadership training. Um, we moved on our Wednesday night service to um, a different format where we have a shorter time of worship, shorter Bible study. And then we, um, after the Bible study, we break up into what we call circle groups. We kind of have a saying that we learn in rows, we connect in circles. And so mm -hmm. we do these circle groups all throughout the campus um, with all the people that attend on Wednesday night. But part of that was um, we were selecting some of these new, you know, people in the, in the church who have been here like maybe a year um, to see, you know, who, who did well in leading a group, who did well in ministering to their people. Like it was a time for us to be able to, you know, just see um, right here in that type of setting, um, you know, who God was raising up and who, you know, was gifted, but also, um, you know, it, it, fit, it fit one of the things that had become a part of our vision coming out of COVID was, you know, we need to provide a lot of uh, opportunities for people to connect yeah. um, because that was something that was, you know, missing. And it seemed like it was something that, you know, people were craving for. Um, I've also found the need maybe more so than ever um, to be speaking on, on vision and direction um, you know, from the pulpit and, you know, even being a little more strategic as it relates to, you know, teaching, you know, we, we all come from a, a, a church model and, and uh, that is, you know, into expository teaching and that's kind of our bread and butter. And that's kind of the heart of our, you know, our ministries. But, um, you know, we, we just recently did the book of Esther and I felt like it was really, really important for our time, you know, hinging on that saying, you know, for such a time as this. And we, we looked at it and approached it from, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, standpoint we're going into in the fall on Wednesday nights doing a very specific teaching in Titus. Um, and the whole thing is going to be looking at um, how our church leadership structure works. And we're going to use the book of Titus as uh, a model for that. And then on Sunday mornings, we're jumping into the book of Acts and we're going to, I'm basically setting it up this way that everything that we do and believe, um, you know, as, as our church, as we, our focus, as it relates to, you know, how we worship, how we teach the word, our eschatology, um, our approach to missions, um, our approach to giving, all of that we see and take from what we see in the book of Acts. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I'm seeing the need as it relates to, you know, the new people that are here, um, the changes going on of the need to be able to communicate that and lay out that kind of framework for our people to be able to see this is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And, um, and that's our, our focus, you know, as it relates to, you know, even on, on Sundays and Wednesdays in, in the pulpit time, um, you know, approaching vision kind of that way to just, you know, familiarize people are, you know, they've come, they're like, Hey, we really like this, but they really haven't 
caught on yet exactly to who we are and and why and um, and some of those people though are now beginning to buy in yeah. you know and they're beginning to you know really catch a vision for you know what God has put on our heart and what it means for Calvary Vista to minister to the flock and to our community. So uh, for me, it's been a little bit more strategic and and just the whole approach to even teaching Mm -hmm. uh, as it relates to that. I'm curious. Yeah, you know, go ahead. ahead. No, please, Miles, go ahead. Well, just listening to you speak, Rob, um, you know, you guys started the episode talking about the different guys who've already spoken into this idea of vision and, and, you know, everybody, when they kind of approach vision, they have a different take on it. And I've been teaching at Calvary Chapel Bible College for about 17 years. And for a while, quite a while, I've taught a church planting class there. We talk quite a bit about vision in church planting, because when you're going out to plant a church, you, you really need to have some clarity about what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. Exactly. And, and I think vision in a lot of ways answers that question, why? And, you know, one of the things that I share in that class is that if you took a hundred pastors from, you know, Protestant Bible churches, and you ask them, what is the biblically defined purpose of the church? And you said, just sum it up in five or six words, you you would probably find a lot of crossover. They wouldn't say identical things, but they'd say things like, you know, preaching and worship, evangelism, mission, discipleship, those sort of core Mm -hmm. things. So we have a biblically defined purpose of the church. And I think it's really important for us to put before our church bodies that what we do as a church, the, the focus, the purpose of why we exist is biblically defined. God set that right. out for us. The, the scriptures say in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. So he sets the agenda for what the purpose of the church is. And then I think every church's mission is to fulfill the biblically defined purpose of the church. Right. Right. And then you kind of move down from purpose, mission to vision. Vision is how a local church and the leaders of that local church see themselves with their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their finances, the people that God has given to them, how they are able to fit and, and, and fulfill that mission of fulfilling that purpose. So, you know, every church is going to articulate that in a different way. Not every church has a written or stated vision, but I would contend that every church functions according to a vision, you know, mm-hmm. within our tribe, Calvary Chapel, uh, I, you know, if you talk with people and ask them, what was Pastor Chuck Smith's vision when he was pastoring Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa? I don't know, as far as I can tell, that he ever had a written or stated vision. But it was very, very clear to me that Chuck's vision of ministry was simply teach the Word of God simply. Right. That's what they did in everything that they did. He never had to really write that down, put it on a wall, put it on a piece of paper. That's what they did. So right. every church is going to articulate their vision by the things that they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that those things need to remain consistent. And it needs to be clear and it needs to be fairly simple so that just like, you know, he who sees it or reads it can run with it and go with it. So, right. you know, we have a bibli- biblically defined purpose. Our mission is to fulfill that purpose. And our vision is how we, you know, Calvary Vista or up in Temecula, what you guys are doing, what we're doing here at Cross Connection Church, you know, how we are fulfilling that purpose in our area. So you might articulate it differently, but it's ultimately the, the same basic underpinning And when we get into these times where things are changing, I mean, culture has significantly changed. It's going to continue to change. And we need to adjust our strategy in implementing that vision. But the vision, I think, needs to stay consistent Mm -hmm. and clear and simple. And yeah, we're going to have to adjust our strategy, but the the vision needs to stay the same. Yes, precisely. Going back to our very first episode, you know, there's general... And they're specific. Right. And in general, it's it's exactly what you just said, Miles. There are there are there are, there's a general mission that every church has, 
and then there's specific manifestations of that mm-hmm. uh, pertain, pertaining to your local context. I agree wholeheartedly. And that's the those specifics are the things that we have to hold in an open hand. Um, you know uh, that we we can say, okay, specifically we're going to do X, Y, and Z, but um, this is where we we need to take the pulse of what's happening within mm-hmm. our world because we may need to adjust our methods um, in order to accomplish that that general um, vision that's been given to us from the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious, you guys, how do you, um, as you're keeping a, watch, a watchful eye, this will be a two-part, I, I kind of a two-part question. I'll just throw it out there for you and we can, we can kick it around. Um, as you're watching the horizon, um, is there anything in particular you're keeping a wary eye on? And then the second part of, the, of that would be, um, how, how are you preparing your key leaders for those things that you're, that you're seeing? And, and um, how, how are you bringing them along in that? Um, well, I, I find that for sure, you know, the recession is a, a big one. That, yeah. You know, you got your eye on it's as far as like, okay, you know, what is happening? What's going on? Um, where's this headed? And then um, another one that comes to my mind is just um, as it relates to missions, uh, because, you know, missions has has gotten so, you know, uh, challenging um, to go anywhere uh, right now. We have a, a group right now that's on a mission trip over in Cyprus and, um, you know, they lost their luggage and they still haven't got it yet. And it just seems like, you know, with every, like every little thing, you just have to rethink um, it right now and and really, you know, weigh the cost. Everything's much more expensive now. And, right. and uh, so, um you know, th- those are things that I'm I'm personally keeping an eye on. That's the first things that kind of come to my mind is, and and just, you know, I, I think I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I think I've had to step back and with our team think through all of this a little bit more, and I think get a, a lot more strategic in our planning in our approach to things than we maybe ever have before, because it just seems like um, things have become so much more challenging. You know, we used to go, had a ministry on Camp Pendleton that we did with the recruits out there. And um, it was phenomenal, it was great. Um, But it has become so difficult now and so many hoops that you have to jump through to get on base that, you know, it becomes, um, you know, the type of thing that it would be very easy to go like, oh, that's just too hard. We're not gonna do it anymore. But that would be a big mistake. So you gotta look at it from the standpoint of like, okay, you know, can we do this? How often should we do it? Um, but it's all those type of things that are making me, you know, to use that word wary, um, weary, mm-hmm. you know, right. <laughs> just kind of like, okay, um, it's it's a lot. But uh, that's what comes to my mind. What about yeah. you, Miles? Yeah, you know, looking at the various things that are concerns that we are thinking about within our leadership team and you know, just kind of plotting our course over the next five or so years. You know, you guys were uh, talking about Nate mentioning a 25-year plan. I, I sometimes feel like I can't plan 25 minutes. <laughs> right, future, but, exactly. Um, when we do get together and we we kind of look at where things are going, 
I, I, our team has been less concerned on the financial side. I feel like, you know, we, we've gone through downturns before we went through, mm-hmm. you know, the early downturn in the COVID thing and we adjusted very quickly and we, we kind of have some contingencies and plan already kind of at the push of a button, if you will, of like, here's plan A, B and C, if things go this way, this way, or this way. So those things are, are less of a concern. My, my biggest concern is I look at just things that are happening here locally and, you know, in our nation is the political divisiveness is mm-hmm. like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah. And it it is such a huge third rail. You know, I, I try as much as I can, and I know you guys do as well, to navigate this as, as best as possible, to be as biblical as possible when we're approaching these things. But even when you you don't even say anything outright that is political, people interpret it as political and immediately <laughs> people get bent about these things. It's like just the, the division that is already there and it seems like the division is not going to de-escalate anytime soon. And so, you know, coming into an election season, coming up here really quick with the midterms, and then we'll immediately be starting to talk about presidential elections after that. Right. And it seems like every news cycle for every week, there's some new major thing that people are twisted off about. And and I do get the people, I'm sure you guys do as well. It's like, well, what do you think about this, Pastor? It's like, I'm not sure I want to say anything about what I think about this. And then I'm constantly going back to, all right, what, what are the biblical principles that we need to apply in this situation? I, I was just with a group of guys before this meeting, and we we're having a teaching meeting about uh, some passages in First Samuel, the whole passage of the transition with when Absalom took the kingdom from David mm. and the conversation that was happening in this meeting was just, you know, there are plenty of things in this passage to not like about Absalom and to not like about David and then to like about Absalom and to like about David. And on both sides of it, it's like you got two different sides of the, this political happening. It's like neither one of them is perfect and neither mm. one of them is wholly without sin. And, and in some respect, you know, some of the things Absalom was saying, it's like, you know, yeah, dad, you've been dropping the ball. And and the same thing with our political arena. I just look at it as neither one of them is perfect and neither neither one of them is glorious. Ultimately, we need to be looking to the Lord. And the whole the whole discussion and the, the story of David and Absalom is we're, we're looking for a better king, a future king, who yeah, is yeah. the king of kings. Right. And I find myself constantly having to kind of reiterate that with people when they just get so concerned and consumed with the things that are happening uh, politically in the culture. And I just don't see it getting any better. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you, for me, I, I absolutely agree that the um, the division in our nation, um, which goes so far beyond um, political division and the inability um, to, to, in a civil way, um, even reach compromise or common ground, um, that's, con- that's concerning. Um, Big time. Uh, part and parcel with that is, is the uh, Christian nationalism, which is which has been you know so profoundly problematic. Um, another thing that that it, that causes me great concern is is the struggle nationally with identity issues, um, dealing mm. with relative truth, and um, you know the demand for hey you call me by my pronouns and and these kind of things and all that that implies, um, which is really rich ground for us for the gospel, because mm-hmm. really the gospel at its heart is an identity issue. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so I, you know, that provides a great opportunity, but it causes me great concern culturally, nationally, the, the, um, the war on truth in that regard. And then obviously uh, things, the recession and all that informs the practicality of what we're doing and the absolute demand for stewardship mm-hmm. um, and, and courage, 
too, because uh, you know it. Many churches aren't there yet. Some are are you know already you know getting out of the shallow end and wading into the deep end on on this this uh, the impacts of the recession. Um, but there's some hard decisions that are going to mm-hmm. lie you know ahead, uh, and um, and so so I, you know I'm not relishing that. And then I'll I'll take it a step further just to answer my own question in regards to how are you preparing your leaders for yeah. this. It's a lot of discussion. It's a lot of just what you talked about, Miles, taking taking your leaders through the word and saying, let's let's look at this through the lens of of today's news and yeah. how does how how does what does this mean to how we shepherd the people through this? And so that's there's been a lot of discussion, and I think a lot more is needed, which is hard for us because I'll, I you know I'll, I'll I know that you guys share this. But I'm, I've never been more busy in terms mm-hmm. of trying to keep everything spinning and trying to keep up with everything. Right. And so to, to say that I have to increase my time and my communication with my leaders, um, you know, all at once you're saying, well, you know, where, where's that time going to come from? But, but, you know, we have to make it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And it's interesting. Uh, Lifeway Research um, recently put out an article where they were talking about, you know, the biggest challenges for pastors today. And they said, um, as relates to people in the church, and they they said the things we've been talking about, apathy, lack of commitment. And then the third one was the strong opinions <laughs> of, <laughs> of people in the church. And as it relates to all these, you right. know, things. And I think... One of the things that is, um, you know, the challenge that you're bringing up as even relates to like with your leaders and even your staff is that their opinions can vary, right. you know, greatly. And um, what's the saying? You get two Christians, you get three opinions, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, and uh, I, right. yeah, exactly. I remember when, when COVID first happened, you know, right. I had some guys on my staff that was thinking it was the end of the world. And, you know, other guys that were like, oh, this is going to be over in two weeks. Like right. this is nothing, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, um, you know, you have guys that are in different places, you know, politically, and then it's our role as the pastor to be able to just kind of bring everybody together and, and around a, the commonality of, you know, seeing this through the lens of the gospel and, you know, in Jesus and and to remind everybody like, hey, this is our goal. This is what we're, we're shooting at. And um, I, I found that during you know, the whole pandemic season where, um, you know, we, we didn't get super political, um, at all during that, that time. Um, we kept the focus just on the word and and on Jesus. I mean, you walk into our building and there's a big, you know, thing on our entryway that just says simply Jesus. And that's kind of our, you know, what we're about, you know, it's all to him, all for him and all through him is what we say. And, uh, but I found so many people that have told me over the the course of the last two years, you know, that they've been so thankful that that's been our approach and that's been our focus. Now, you know, the people who really wanted me to get political and, and, uh, you know, jump on that bandwagon, um, you know, they're probably not here anymore or a lot of them aren't. Um, but, uh, you know, I only address the political issues when, 
it was, you know, necessary. I mean, like I'm always going to be an advocate for, um, you know, uh, the right to life and, and, uh, you know, pro-life organizations and, you know, that type of thing. We really invested in a lot of that. And, uh, but like you said, you know, uh, Miles, I think we have to just constantly be reminding people that, you know, the answer is in the King who's coming, (laughs) you know, that's what we're waiting for. You know, the answer is not in a political leader. It's not in a political agenda. Um, And it's getting people to, you know, realize that and come down off of the, you know, lens of, of constantly looking at, you know, everything through the the lens of what they're hearing in the media. And, um, and the sad thing I think that we all struggle with is, you know, we're spending an hour with people, you know, every Sunday getting to talk to them and they're spending, you know, upwards of 20 plus hours a week listening and reading, you know, all these other things. So that's a, a challenge, right. um, you know, that, and, and I think this is one of the hardest times in my lifetime to be doing what we're doing as a pastor, because uh, it's just, a, you know, and we haven't even talked about, I mean, this is a whole nother thing that we could you know, talk about, but it's like the, the, the difference in the mindsets of generations, right. um, you know, the, what, yet what young people are looking for in, in church and right. versus what, you know, it's like so vast. Yeah. I had um, that exact same thought, Miles, when you were talking about uh, the uh, retirement rate of the baby boomers and the next generation coming in and, um, and, the already a shortfall just numerically, but also ideologically, like yeah. you said, Rob, because the baby boomers, what, what's the, the, the idiom that they, they live to work. Um, and now um, the Gen Zers, their work to live, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I think this is great conversation. Yeah, guys, I enjoyed and, it very uh, much. Insightful. Thanks, Miles, for taking the time to be with us today. And any any final thoughts? Anything you want to just uh, leave our listeners with as we close? No, I just appreciate what you guys are doing. I think this is such an important conversation, uh, whether it's about vision or it's just leadership in general. I I think that a lot of guys who are going into the ministry, especially people who go in kind of a traditional ministry track that you'd see in some of the more larger denominations of like, I'm going to go into ministry, so I'm going to go through seminary. They come out with sem- from seminary with a really good education in original languages or <laughs> theology or, you know, Old Testament, New Testament history, but they, they don't often know a lot of the important things that you guys are discussing about leadership. And I think that is a huge hole that you guys are filling. So I just appreciate what you guys are doing. Wow. I appreciate that. Praise yeah, God. That, that was the vision, uh, the nuts and bolts uh, <laughs> of, of leadership. So right um, thanks for being with us today, Miles. Thank you, guys. All God right. bless you, Miles. Hey, thanks for joining us today on the Leadership Collective. We hope this conversation has been a great encouragement to you. And if you're looking for some more insights on this topic, one book I highly recommend is Developing a Vision for Ministry in the 21st Century by Aubrey Malfurus and Haddon Robinson. Another book that you might consider is Visioneering by Andy Stanley. And of course, a healthy read through First and Second Timothy is always a plus. If there are certain topics you'd like for us to cover on this podcast, you can email us at leadershipcollectivepodcast at gmail.com.
gmail.com. Again, that's leadership collective podcast at gmail.com. Be on the lookout for a bonus episode that's dropping this month where Rob and I are going to be discussing our different approaches to board structures and leadership in our respective churches. And lastly, if this podcast is a blessing to you, we'd love it if you subscribed and please share it with a friend. So we'll catch you next time on the Leadership Collective Podcast.